0: Good morning, team. It's Gary Morris at uh, DLC Group Head Office. I am joined today with uh, two very good friends of mine. Uh, Robert McClister from Right and John Webster from Scotia Bank. Uh, we just hit broadcast, so we are seeing a lot of you funnel in right now. We're going to start in about 60 seconds. Looking forward to uh, today's call. If you do have any questions, you can send me a quick email to gary at dlc.ca. I do have a lot sort of already in our queue. Uh, but the vital ones we'll try and get to. Thanks very much and stand by. All right team, well listen, we're gonna jump right in so that we uh, can try to stay as close to the timeline as possible. My first guest today is a, uh, is a uh, dear friend of mine, one of my best pals, uh, Mr. John Webster. A lot of you know John, he's been an industry icon, uh, was one of the co-founders of um, Maple Trust and obviously has been with Scotia Bank at the helm for many, many years, not only in charge of Scotia Mortgage Authority, but uh, retail lending uh, uh, nationwide uh i also have uh mr uh, rob mcclister and we're gonna jump into the second 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 segment with uh with rob unless rob has some you know questions as we you know start the journey with uh, john so john first off uh, good morning and welcome to uh the call today we really appreciate you making the time i i know you and i spoke on saturday night and you have been around the clock for more than a week i mean conference call after conference call with you know with the bac the bank of canada uh, with the insurers, the lenders, uh, super, super grateful to have you join us today.
1: Well, thank you, Gary. Uh, anything for, for you and Chris, and uh, good morning to those on the West Coast, and good afternoon to those of us who are uh, on the uh, Eastern Time Zone. Um, obviously, I had a few thoughts that I'd like to share before uh, we get into some of the, the questions that uh, hopefully I've anticipated. We were saying before the call began, we really are um, living in extraordinary times, ones that none of us on this call have ever experienced before. And in a really short time frame, we've witnessed the disruption to the capital and credit markets and an unprecedented shutdown of much of our economy. And for many, many people, a dramatic change to how they work and how they live. So I know it's been challenging for all of you as it has been for all of my colleagues at Scotia and all of our partners. In the first wave, we were confronted by really volatile financial movements. You know, the market moved in unprecedented fashion. The equity markets dropped more than we've ever had seen them drop in one single day before. There was incredible uncertainty and fear and the spread of the pandemic was so exponential that I think it was difficult for most of us to get their head around. But what we didn't anticipate, I think, was the dire economic consequences that had to take place as a result of trying to flatten the curve and the spread of the virus. You know, we all saw in the first instance, realtors who contacted us to say they were going to have to stop open houses as they had very nervous sellers. Um, the first issue that we dealt with were appraisers who fe- refused to do full inspections. And um, we had to move very, very quickly to um, try to adjust our appraisal policy to accommodate that. And and we have, in case those of you aren't aware, adjusted our policy in terms of the numbers of deals that require Uh, full appraisals and that seems to have been well received we also had to stand up an industry-wide response on payment deferral for mortgage customers and I think I want to give you a little context on that because I know that a number of brokers have been asking questions on behalf of their customers I want to give you some idea of how this works this was a um, an initiative that had to be developed among all of the lenders led by the CBA, working with both the FCAC, with Ministry of Finance, with OSVI, and working um, with my peers across all the other lenders to see how we could come up with a coherent and cohesive payment deferral policy. And obviously the insurers were very key in that. And for the first time in my experience, we were able to get all three insurers to send one communicate and get them on the page. And so uh, Gary was referencing uh, most of Saturday and Sunday was spent in uh, telephone conferences with the CBA and the other lenders to set this up. All of the uh, bank call centers were overwhelmed with inquiries and the problem from the government's point of view with that is that that then tied up um, other folks that are in need. And it's the same thing with branch closures we've been pretty fortunate not to have to close that many only about three percent of our branches but branches serve um, a big segment of the vulnerable population that do not access online banking who aren't as uh, familiar with how to do telephone uh, assisted banking mobile banking so it's really important to get those services still available for a very vulnerable group at the same time you can appreciate our employees who are obviously Um, nervous and had concerns about having to go to work in this environment. So all those things were coming at us uh, pretty fast, but I think that the deferral program uh, was set up and it is working. It's working so well that there's already been over 200,000 applications for deferral across the banks. We have to send in a report to CBA every day that finance has requested about the number of applications for deferral. and where the queue is. So we've already stood up a, a digital uh, site. I think Rob, will, I don't know if he's been, he, he's been on it yet. He's usually the first guy that gets on this stuff and the first to report it, so that's really helpful. Uh, we, we set up one as a temporary site and we didn't drive any traffic to it. We have an incredible number of applications to allow for online fulfillment and we're setting up a more permanent one that goes live uh, tomorrow. So we've been working very hard behind the scenes to deal with that. And the deferral program uh, had a lot of moving parts that you can appreciate because all the banks have different policies. So it's not just the deferral of mortgage payments you have to deal with. you got to deal with property taxes, um, health crisis, and insurance payments, and all the lenders deal with it a little differently. And in the municipal issue, it's very complicated because the municipalities all have different rules about property tax. And a number of them were waiving uh, the property tax requirement or deferring it rather than waiving it. So there was a lot of complexity in terms of standing that up, but we have the deferral solution. It is working, it's providing relief. And I think it's an example of the most nimble I've ever seen the banking community in that really it's it's three questions. And if Rob hasn't got on it, I'd be interested in his feedback. And essentially, it's three questions, and there is no burden of proof, no documentations, and it's appropriate, obviously, in these circumstances. The next thing that hit us were notaries, uh, particularly uh, in Quebec, uh, that were stating that they were refusing to see customers and close deals. And then their government, the midnight before they had declared the provincial emergency, said that they had to, and they had to at least make remote services available. And then uh, you'll all appreciate this, and this isn't COVID-19 related, it was great timing that Finastera decided to have a cybersecurity breach, and of course it would be just as we were raising rates. So it was, from Gary Morrison's point of view, a perfect storm, and if he had any hair, he told me he would have pulled it out. Um, It was a very, very difficult uh, weekend um, so I'm encouraged by across all of the lenders the responses to those challenges because as I talked to Gary about, we're really innovating in real time to meet our customers needs and these are circumstances that none of us could have anticipated now, we have the lowest interest rates in any period since they've been measured and there's a lot of talk about the falling bond yield and then with the Bank of Canada reducing prime and All of the other regulators around the G8 and really across all of uh, the major banks, central banks across the Western world have followed a similar path. And bond yields are important to fixed-term funding, but they only tell part of the story. And so I have to give you a little context. I lived through that crisis in uh, 2008. And in fact, in my previous life, I was a major securitizer um, at Maple Trust. So I understood how the securitization markets worked and how the capital markets worked because that's how I got the majority of my funding. So I lived through that financial crisis. So I've had some experience. Now, this is obviously different because it's a health crisis that drove that. But we saw a similar experience. So what happened was, Even though the bank lowers prime, what happens is credit spreads blew out. And by that, I mean what the bank pays to raise money in the wholesale market widened by several points. And it was very volatile and continues to be very volatile. And this has a very dramatic impact right across the board. It certainly has an impact on variable, but it impacts across all terms. So notwithstanding that the absolute rate looks like it's declining, our cost of funds, that liquidity premium, that's what we pay to issue instruments, was going up and up. Now, having said that, all the lessons learned in the financial crisis by the Bank of Canada and by the Fed were brought to bear in very short order. And by that, I mean they set up programs. And some of you would have seen these announcements from CMHC regarding the IMPP program. They set up programs for the capital markets to make money available to all lenders. So that over time, there's so much money sloshing around in the system that these credit spreads wouldn't be distorted and would come in and we'd have greater sort of certainty around rates. But rates are still very volatile. All lenders rates currently today on a spot basis are underwater. So it's putting incredible pressure on lenders and so i think this is one of the areas that's very complex and it's hard to explain to the front line it's hard to explain to the folks in our branches it's hard for us to explain to our brms and i know it's hard for you guys to explain to your customers but that is a fact of the cost of money the real cost is what it costs to raise that liquidity to fund operations and i and i want to give you also an additional perspective it's really important that people appreciate that as a bank, we have a big, big capital buffer, and the rules have changed to allow less restrictions on how much capital you can actually deploy. So that's really important when you're trying to raise money to fund mortgages and other products. We also um, have a big balance sheet. So unlike the Monoline, they have no balance sheet. They sell on. They're actually, so you can appreciate this when you're looking at rates and the pressure they're under, like MCAP is a huge client of ours. So all the banks in various uh, ways, whether through their trading desks or through direct purchases, are funding the entire market. And so that that pressure is felt right across the system. So it's important when you listen to some of the people on social media and people in the mainstream media talking about rates, that it's a much more complex and the most important thing in the discussion that I've experienced with consumers, it's not about the absolute rate, it's about certainty. And I think that's what you guys want to hear about. So right now, obviously, in these very difficult times where income verification is challenging and our customers are very nervous about closing their deals, we have to put purchases first and we have to ask for that income verification where we can get it upfront to smooth that out. That doesn't mean that we won't be doing refinances. I've heard that. It's absolutely not true. In fact, in our existing book, for the portfolio insurance that you need to sell into the CMHC programs, they're going to allow us, which they haven't allowed to use refinances and 30-year AMS for the existing deals. So. You will see refinances, but in this very tough time where we're trying to deal with all the impact of social distancing, all the law societies, for example, are very nervous about having to provide signatures. We have the ability to do digital signatures. That's not the issue. The issue is the KYC impact. The Know Your Customer mandate is a regulatory mandate, and there has been no suggestion that there'll be any relief. So that's another issue that we're working on. But we've been working very carefully with all the law societies in each jurisdiction. We've been working with all the title insurers to see if we can stand up a solution on remote closing to allow us to continue to operate the business under these very, very difficult and challenging circumstances. Now we're very fortunate at SME and its predecessor business because the majority of that business operated remotely. So this isn't a new experience for SMA. It's a new environment. It's a new economy. It's a new way of of behaving. But so far, I tell you that our business has been remarkably resilient. That in fact, if I were to put it this way, to date, the demand for housing in Canada has trumped the virus. And by that, I mean that our book continues to build. Now, I don't think that that is sustainable necessarily going forward, depending on how long it takes to get the numbers of people infected by the virus down and to make sure our health system isn't overwhelmed. But I want to thank everybody for their patience, and I would say that we're all very, very concerned that we put our customers first, our employees first, and that we safeguard Our institutions for our shareholders and stakeholders, for all the deposit holders, and for everyone who is dependent on financial institutions for their stability. So, um, I'd also like to say, unlike a lot of the people I talked to, I'm very optimistic about the recovery. I think it will be a V recovery. I think whatever you're missing or concerned about in reduction in volumes today. Or the difficulty in continuing to source your business, that it will be a V-shaped recovery, and there will be a big bounce back, and hopefully that won't be too long. And I think you'll find out whatever business you have to forego today, you'll more than make up by the last quarter of this year.
0: Awesome, That's- John. Listen, that was a uh, that was a really really good um, sort of summary for us. Uh, thank you for that. I, I you know I, I think we were on a call the other day with Dr. Sherry Cooper and uh, I think we're much of the same mindset. Um, You know, one thing this has done for all of us is really, really accelerated the use of technology and and you're getting the different jurisdictions looking at ways to, you know, complete the 360 ecosystem on the actual front to back transaction. And in some cases, loosen those those requirements. Um, A couple of pointed maybe uh, direct questions for you, just based on some of the questions that I have been receiving. So deals that are in the pipeline and that have been in the pipeline that are scheduled to close, that between now and closing, so they're already in, they're not new deals, but between now and closing, there is some sort of temporary layoff because of COVID-19. What should we expect from a uh, perspective on how those deals are going to be handled? Are they all case by case? Are are the ones that are in the the channel, are they going to, you know, we're gonna try our best to get those closed regardless of that layoff? being short-term?
1: That's a great question. So they have to be by nature, case by case, because not every deal will be a COVID impact, right? And so they're obviously going to be examined, but um, I would say to you that in those scenarios that where we are leaning towards, and we've just issued, um, uh, there'll be some um, new information posted to the broker website, is that yes, if you have a borrower that's approved and then there's a COVID impact, that that obviously will be honored. And I think you'll also find on the, um, the deferral payment program, uh, if that extends out, you'll see something similar uh, with renewals down the road as well. So I think that all the institutions are mindful, Gary, that this is not the usual scenario where someone uh, loses their job and it's a delinquency and that's going to send in a default. This is a suspension of economic activity. And I think that we have to um, approach it very differently than we would have approached it in the past. Now, for those of you that had deals in Fort Mac, you would be uh, familiar uh, with what took place there. On a smaller scale, we had the same kind of issues with appraisers because of the smoke and the health health threats and the deferral payment program and skip a payment, and then um, what took place with deals were closing. And, uh, and and so this is obviously on a much larger scale. And it's been, uh, I would say, it's like a program like that in a disaster on steroids. Awesome. Next
0: question for you, John, is uh, you talked about you've been very fortunate with uh, branch closings and somewhere around 3% of branches have been closed at this point. So going forward, I mean, Scotia obviously has the in-branch uh, closing program. What do you see and where are the concerns around there? Are you expecting more branch closings? And if there is mandated uh, branch closings, which I guess maybe there's not because you're considered an essential service, um, you know, what do you think we should be thinking about, um, you know, if that's even
1: a possibility? Well, all of our deals are solicitor closed, right? What you're really talking about is the, the wh- where the personal credit agreement gets signed. So, right. I don't I think that we we've already uh, realistically had a determination that it's it's not reasonable to ask a customer to come in in these circumstances if they don't want to put their health at risk, right? right. It's hard enough to uh, deal with the anxiety of employees. So, What we're trying to do and figure our way forward is do exactly what you suggested. You know, every day we're trying to innovate with with our own folks in the digital factory, but I'm on the phone to the title insurers and to the insurers and to anybody else, including my peers, about what steps they're taking. So I think what you said about creating that sort of digital universe with an assistance is the direction people are uh, definitely going in everything that we can do remotely we will do
0: yeah awesome it's 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 going to be obviously as we said i mean so many of us getting so much better i mean we we you know sort of deployed 150 head office staff at home with you know virtually little interruption so i think this is going to be you know a blessing in many ways for us um rob i know you had a couple questions you wanted to ask uh, john Uh, i have several more of course but let me just turn it over to you and you know you have always been cutting edge robert and you and I have been dear friends for a very, very, very long time. And, you know, uh, you seem to be uh, uh, very, um, you know, quick, as John pointed out. So let me uh, hand it over to you for a minute.
2: Yeah, thanks, Gary. And I you know, appreciate uh, you guys having me on. And uh, hello, uh, Brokerland. Um, hope you're all doing well. Um, so, uh, John, uh, a couple quick uh, things. So uh, at Rates Spy we track the entire market. And I'm seeing a significant uh, obviously a significant increase in variable rates or reduction in, in spreads uh, from prime rate. Um, and it's materially, uh, the, the rates are going up in variable more than they're going up on fixed. Uh, could you explain that, like why that's happening? So Rob, like the most popular instrument,
1: and this might be of no interest to the people on the call, for banks, et cetera, is a banker's acceptance, right? And then, they had to open up the till uh, at the Bank of Canada uh, to get that funding and that flow. And, and when they brought in short-term measures, uh, spreads were still blowing out. So it's uh, the problem is the shape of the yield curve, right? So the, the, the problem with short-term money uh, was not, it, it wasn't the usual, it wasn't the usual slope that people expected with all of the money that was released into the system. So short-term funding is still very, very expensive. And one of the things that happens uh, for lenders, because for us, we obviously have retail deposits and wholesale funding, so you can appreciate that the deposit activity also changes when you have a crisis like this. So that is problematic and you have to sort of watch it. Like, people need cash. People want to early convert their GICs. All that kind of stuff goes on. And then the money market instruments, they've increased all the things that you're allowed to put up for collateral to get money. So I think, Rob, that it should – the distortion should correct over time, uh, but it's been very, very uh, volatile. It was like this during the financial crisis, too, for – when the credit markets uh, seized up, but there's a there's more liquidity in the system. It's like they have decided whatever ammunition they had, fire it all at once, instead of like they did in 208 into 209, fire around, wait, fire around. They just let everything out. And so there's a ton of money in the system. So I think that th- that stuff will happen. Um, But the fixed-term funding is a little easier to do right now because we're able to issue covered bonds. Those are bonds that we sell as an institution that are supported by mortgages without the portfolio insurance. So we're able to sell those into different jurisdictions, and that's usually used for fixed-term funding. So that's why um, you haven't seen the same kind of spread uh, deterioration, even though if if you looked at a deposit, and did that or a bond yield across what mortgages are charging, you'd see most of the competitive rates would be underwater. And that's before you pay for the brokers or pay for BRMs, or pay for anything else. So it's very challenging. And I think it will sort itself out.
2: Yeah, it makes total sense. Thank you. Um, So the, uh, the prime BA spread is compressed significantly. So is that a a big reason why we're seeing this uh, uh, reduction in variable rate discounts?
1: Yes, it is. But what happens in this thing is the first thing that goes are corporate bonds, right? Anything that's considered with the higher risk. And those spreads blew out and it just cascades on down. And so even for RBC and TD and ourselves, what we're able to borrow money at was, you know, overnight went up two or three points. And now it started to settle, but it hasn't settled in the short end. So it's, uh, as you identified, it's very challenging. And when I talk to our treasury and our guys who work the desk, they're saying they've never seen anything like this in their life. Like even the ones that obviously went through the last crisis. So um, a lot of the, opera, you know, a lot of the volatility on the markets is driven by all of the automated trading programs, right? That those algorithms, uh, you know, 70% of that market's driven off, passive investors that are driven by um, a mathematical formula so it's not quite the same circumstances that we experienced before and in terms of what will happen over time they have basically today CMHC announced that they are going to add another 100 billion into their IMPP program and that's the program that you can create CMB and then sell it back to them and they give you funds and all the model lines have access to it. Anyone who issues that stuff does. So that'll provide term relief, but it won't help the variable. So guys, I'm going to ask
0: a question to both of you, cause I want to be really, uh, I want to have this call to be very, very uh, helpful for, you know, for the average broker dealing with the customers right now. So um, if, if you were dealing with a customer today and they were saying, okay, you know, based on what's going on volatility and what's going on with the COVID-19 and the effects, uh, which way would you instruct your clients to go now when it term, you know, when it comes in, in,
1: in terms of uh, product, Robert, you want to go first? Well, I'll let Rob go. Cause he's
2: always publishing his advice on that. Right. That's, that's why I'm picking Rob first. Hopefully I remember it. Uh, so, you know, uh, just as recently as a few weeks ago, uh, variable rates were looking tremendous for new borrowers, uh, who are very well qualified. Uh, and obviously, you know, term selection is very personal. It Depends on your five year plan, your qualifications, your financial safety net, all that good stuff. So, um, but for a typical well qualified borrower, you know, we were seeing uh prime minus uh a buck 20 in some cases. Uh, now, uh, you know, if you get prime minus uh 25 cents, I mean, you're you know, you're doing really well. You
1: won't get that today, that'll go away Mm -hmm. too. uh, The way, unless things move like prime flat is underwater so uh, that's the problem with that that's why you saw all those prime discounted move up
2: yeah yeah and then so at rates we track all the lenders so there's uh there's still a few laggards out there who are offering good deals but um you know further to uh kind of the 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 gist of the message here um the optimal term has changed uh even in a couple weeks So now we're looking at, you know, if you look at the nation's lowest widely available conventional rate for a five-year fixed, it's through Canada Life at 2.49%. You compare that to the lowest conventional widely available variable rate uh, through Motus Bank, uh, and that variable rate is 10 basis points higher. And so, you know, if you're trying to uh, figure out where things are going, and I caution anyone about making rate predictions, but if you try to, you know, uh, model this out, um, and we 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 did so on our site today. So a, hey, Robert. Area. Yeah. I
0: always I always coach, and I always uh, ask our professionals to you know try to be as educational and decisive as possible. So try to give us for a well qualified boy or, or a a a you know a decisive you know sort of opinion.
2: Yeah. So if you try to model this out uh, and you use kind of the 2008 experience as an analog, uh, then you know, let's say that uh, we cut another 50 basis points, uh, the Bank of Canada, and we go down to a quarter point, uh, and things, you know, uh, linger around there for a year, year and a half or so, and then, you know, the the Bank of Canada slowly starts increasing its rate, and then we plateau for a while, because this this could be, and we haven't talked about this yet, but, uh, you know, while we we could very well have a V-shaped recovery, as as John said, um, there's gonna be some people that are out of jobs, and they continue to be out of jobs, so, if you kind of model it out and you compare the starting rates uh, today uh, over a five-year span, you know, you could make a case uh, now, all of a sudden for a five-year fixed. So it really depends on, you know, your starting rate, obviously your risk tolerance, your plan, your, your, your potential need to break the mortgage because penalties are a major factor. So what I'm saying is that as of this minute, because things change, uh, you know, if you can get a really, really good deal on a, a a medium or longer-term fixed rate—that's uh, not a bad option. So let awesome, me you, respond by Gary. Let me respond by saying this: um, two, twofold.
1: One, Canada Life—I um, don't know about the three mortgages they do—but uh, <laughs> in the broker space. But let me tell you that every life company and every pension company is in dramatically different circumstances today than they were three weeks ago. Most of them depend on their capital is all invested with money that they get from the premiums into securities, and so they've all taken a huge hit. A lot of pension funds that were making double-digit returns now have unfunded liability. Life codes are no different. So um, let's talk about things that matter. Material players in the space. I tell brokers, and this has nothing to do with this permanent crisis, but it reinforces that that the best thing you can do for your customer is certainty. And what you want to do is remove their fears and anxiety about getting the deal done. I think the consumer is incredibly well served by rates today. I've never seen anything uh, like it. And the reality is that no one can predict this out, any rate hub, any model, because this isn't like 2008. This is completely different. The economic consequences are because of a spread of a pandemic that nobody can predict. Even with everyone in Beijing going back out and partying, going to restaurants and out in the streets, they don't know what will happen with the second wave of the virus. So that's why this is impossible to model because no one's ever experienced it before. It really is like a wartime footing where we're having a war with a virus and the economic and financial consequences are, are as a result of that. So. I would say that you want to give the um, customer as much certainty as possible. And at these absolute levels,
2: the the issue is not around the interest rate integer. Right. Yeah, and I would add to that that, you know, uh, obviously these are very unprecedented times. uh, And it's unprecedented in the amount of government support and liquidity that's being uh, thrown into the system. Uh, so that will have an impact on our economic recovery. Uh, and you know, you could make an argument that, uh, once we get, uh, through the next few very difficult months, uh, that the uh, recovery would be much more uh, optimistic than what we were facing in 2008, uh, when we had a, a fraction of the government assistance and stimulus that we do today.
1: Yeah. John, well, even that
2: two, sorry, that two John, trillion why?
1: in the U S is unprecedented, right? It, it's, if you, if you adjusted for modern-day dollars for what they did in the Depression and any other recession, it's a factor of five or six times greater. So that's an incredible amount of money to stimulate the economy. Um, you're absolutely right, Rob. And the same thing is taking place in uh, Canada. So if it doesn't last that long, I think that obviously the bounce-back will be quicker. If it lasts longer, I still believe there'll be so much pent-up demand Um, and the labor force will re-engage, and we will see a big recovery. And I think housing demand is so strong um, that it will be one of the first to continue to bounce back up.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I'm hearing from both of you uh, in one way or another is obviously at this time when there's much angst and anxiety out there, uh, you know, the most important thing we can deliver to the consumer is, is, you know, clear guidance and advice and, and that certainty that John spoke of. Uh, so that certainty, you know, there's probably a very, very strong argument, you know, that now when you're looking at, uh, you know, the options and mortgage that fixed is, you know, is a, is a very viable uh, alternative. So what I'm hearing guys.
2: Yeah. Depending on the borrower. Absolutely. Of course. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you gotta, just one quick last point on that. I mean, like John said, this is impossible to predict uh, and impossible to model, but we have to try at a very, uh, minimum to you know map out the worst case and best case and then you know figure out a base case and that's what economists do every day um so we can look back in history um you know we can kind of try to make an educated guess here's what we know though we know that the neutral rate of interest uh is falling i think when the bank of canada announces its next uh its neutral rate next month i think we'll see uh, uh it ratchet down again and i don't think anything is going to change that and this uh you know, crisis sure as hell isn't going to uh, take the neutral rate higher. So, uh, you know, if, it, it really depends on the starting rates, like I said, and the client's uh, five-year plan and risk tolerance. Yeah. yeah. So, so, John, out of do respect- me a favor.
1: On Sorry, go ahead, John. But, Comment on that. So I was going to say out of respect for bank economists, because I know you have one. Our bank economist um, he, he was at the Bank of Canada in the last crisis, and he still doesn't believe me when I tell him that our pipeline has gone up.
0: Well, that's interesting. So that actually leads me to my next question, John. So can you tell us, just out of interest, um, you know, we saw some numbers out of the U.S. today that uh, new is off, uh, new business applications are off thirty uh, something percent. So when we look at what you're seeing at Scotia Bank, which is going to be reflective of, of the big six, probably. Uh, what are you seeing? Are you seeing new business off 25, 30, 40% and are you seeing refi is up, you know, and helocs are up by 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 how much?
1: So I would say the mortgage business separates that from the bank business. We have a very big auto business in Canada and now we have no business because all the auto dealerships are shut down, right? There's no um, other way to go. So you have a lot of businesses, corporate, commercial, all that stuff. Um, those numbers change Dramatically overnight, in our business, Gary, I would say that HELOC um, was the delta between uh, the mortgage rates and the HELOC because it is a prime-based uh, product and it wasn't so heavily discounted as uh, variable was. Uh, wasn't attractive to borrowers. Uh, I'm not so sure that it's about the gap in rates anymore. Most people looking for HELOC are looking. Uh, to get some cash, to give them some security uh, and and fund, you know, how, how they're going to live in the next few weeks or months. So, uh, but we haven't observed a very big um, spike in that. Uh, there's been some pickup, but I would call it modest. Uh, so to answer your question, and in terms of uh, mortgage appetite, um it's not what it would have been in a typical spring market if we could ever say there's a typical spring market anymore, uh, but it's still ticking over. Now, the question is, uh, as this becomes more difficult and as uh, consumers um, adjust to this new how we live and work, uh, that's most people believe in the industry that that's bound to continue to tick down. Uh, But it's been so far, like 30 days out, very, very steady and very, very solid. It's just a matter of marshalling our resources, making sure that everybody works together. So, you know, we deal with the most highest priority issues first, which are making sure that people get their purchases closed and don't start to create a bunch of domino effects, make sure that people are able to defer their payments that have lost their um, livelihood uh, temporarily, and then uh, try to deal with everything else.
0: Yeah, one of the things I'd say to, to everyone on the call here, uh, and you can certainly help uh, Scotia Bank and all of our other uh, partners out there, if you're speaking to your clients and they're asking you about, uh, um, you know, deferrals, please make sure that you explain to them that the banks on average are getting 5,000 inbound telephone calls a day and thousands of emails. You know, from people asking about deferrals. And if you haven't suffered an outage or a work loss, or you haven't been laid off at this point, please don't just call to look at your options at this point. You know, give that a few weeks if you want to make those calls, because what you're actually doing is clogging the system right now. And you're making it very, No, the very, inbound very
1: calls are, Gary, it's way worse. The inbound calls are like 20,000 a day now. They're so that much now. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable.
0: So, I mean, guys, we have to be frontline forces. I mean, we have tremendous partners in our business. And, you know, please make certain and spread that word that, you know, if you don't have a work stoppage at this point and you haven't been laid off, please do not send an email or a telephone call into these lenders because you are hurting those who absolutely need this. John, the other thing I want to just talk about on Saturday night, you and I spoke for whatever it was, you know, 90 minutes or something. And uh, you had said something to me that was very, very interesting. And, you know, and I'll, I'll sort of set it up by this. I, I'm, I'm not necessarily a Trudeau fan, but I have to give kudos and accolades to uh, the ministry of finance and, and to Trudeau for how they've responded uh, to this crisis. And, one of the things that you said to me is that they've made it very, very clear to you know all stakeholders and all partners on these uh, calls that you've been on, you know that this is not the time where you know they're looking for you know any partner to be opportunistic, to to gouged. I mean, they are putting immense pressure on uh, on the financial service sector
1: to make certain
0: that they uh, are playing fair ball and are being very helpful. Anything you want to comment on that? I found that quite interesting.
1: Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right I've never seen regulators be this flexible in my lifetime um, and cooperative and and they uh, I think that the government does get it that they really knew that they didn't know how big this was or the implications of what they were dealing with and so they have behaved in a way towards the financial sector in a way that I had not experienced before so I I think there's two parts to that. One, they want financial uh, institutions like ourselves to be good uh, partners and custodians, but good citizens. And they expect us to do um, the right thing by the public. And that's certainly uh, the steps that we're taking in every process that we develop to respond to these very changing customer needs to make sure um, that this is the right thing to do uh, for the public and for the country. And so it is much more like a, a, a kind of a wartime ethos and response uh, than you would experience when there's just a straight financial crisis because it is a pandemic. I think the interesting thing as well, I mean, I could send you some stuff. Hurley sent me, David Hurley from Gandalf, a summary of all the data that was done. And I think that uh, leaders would behave that way, as Trudeau has in A complete stark contrast to Trump, who has been completely exposed uh, in being petty and non-presidential in a time of great crisis. Um, It's uneven in terms of political support because it depends where you are. No one in Alberta is saying that Trudeau's done a good job, right? Because they've really, uh, I mean, it's so devastating uh, to understand two oil shocks and then uh, to have to have the pandemic on top of that. So I completely sympathize uh, with that. And, and and then to have a war uh, in terms of production of oil between um, the Saudis, the Russians, and the Americans. So poor Alberta is really, really in difficult, difficult uh, straits, and I completely empathize. I think it's interesting uh, for organizations that they really now are going to refocus and and truly value their human capital, because I've been absolutely... um, pleased by the response of our folks at work the way that the ones that we still have funders and mortgage accounting clerks that have to go into the office ride the public transit deal with all those issues and and they're still doing it and they're doing it and they're and and they're performing at a very high level and the same thing with all the other um, aspects and stakeholders across the bank that we deal with whether i'm dealing with legal or uh, compliance or audit, or the service groups, the people that do the back end, the people that aren't customer facing, they really rallied. And I think that you'll see large organizations put a different emphasis on human capital because previously, you know, people said disaster recovery was all about what were your physical setup, what business continuity, what backup servers you had. But now they're realizing that uh, the people, you have to put people first. So hopefully, uh, that's a positive change, I think, and you see that across retailers that are uh, bonusing people up, that are having to be in harm's way to continue to provide services that we all need. So I think that'll be a change for the better, and I, I'd say to brokers, um, you know, be kind to your lender and be kind to each other, because these are incredibly difficult circumstances for most people. People are pretty stressed out, and everybody's trying to do the right thing, but it's all happening very, very quickly. So as Gary said, like prioritize your needs and be patient.
2: Hey Gary, one, thing, one quick point on what you uh, mentioned uh, in terms of what the government's doing. So uh, it, it's very interesting uh, to consider for a minute you know, the level of stimulus uh, that we're getting and that the level of assistance we're getting in the funding market. Uh, we've never seen anything even remotely. This is magnitude's uh, order uh, of size greater than anything we've ever seen. And yet, uh, you still see uh, the credit spreads fairly wide. You look at what uh, you know, your typical big six bank is borrowing at uh, for five years in the bond market, and that spread is still near uh, the cycle extremes versus uh, what you know, the government's borrowing at. So we're definitely not out of the woods uh, by any stretch. And uh, you know, uh, John, John, this is a question for you. Um, you know, if credit spreads theoretically were to stay where they are today, um, do you see fixed and variable rates still deteriorating further from here?
1: Oh, yeah, they continue to go up if that, doesn't, uh, if that doesn't correct. But, Rob, I really believe that, uh, you know, part of the problem with the capital markets and the way they're behaving is if you look at the, the news in New York and you see that, you know, people wearing garbage bags as frontline hospital staff or refrigerated trucks as temporary morgues, that all impacts the psychology of it, and it's the unknown. So it's there is, as you said, so much money in the system that if we can see where the end of the curve is coming, I think you'll see all those credit spreads come back in. And, and they, they were, two days ago they came back in a bit, and then yesterday they popped out again when they heard that the United States and New York in particular was the epicenter of the virus. So, I mean, a lot of that activity, as you know, is focused around New York, Toronto, London. Um, and, and so, whatever happens in that local media market, in my view, really does influence what happens in those capital market activities.
0: So, guys, a couple of quick uh, last things. I, um, just so everyone on this call knows, there is a call, a follow up call right after this call with uh, NAS to talk about uh, what's going on in the uh, appraisal. Uh, industry right now. If you look in your inbox, you're going to see a link. So when this call ends at 11 o'clock, you can jump on there. I'm going to spend about another six or eight minutes with Rob and John. And then I am going to, because this was a level up call, I'm going to sort of leave you with, you know, four or five ideas of what I think you can be doing in the crisis. Before we we jump into that. So based on what's going on right now, I'd like both of your opinions on uh, your thoughts around, you know, coming through this. Uh, Obviously, You've heard us say on on the call the other day with Dr. Sherry Cooper, and you've heard John say it today, this is a health crisis, not a financial crisis. So it is remarkably different than 2008 and 2009. But John and Rob, coming out of here, do you guys think that we are uh, destined for a recession, or do you think that we will power through this and uh, and see that V-curve that we are speaking of?
2: Well, you know, I I think that if you look at most uh, economist reports these days, we're already in recession. Um, You know, Goldman's talking about, uh, you know, a potential 18% drop in GDP in Q2. Um, You know, you have uh, obviously a lot of people out of work temporarily, uh, but there's going to be a material uh, minority percentage of those folks who don't go back to work uh, in the near term. Uh, These are you know, people that are going to have to find another job uh, because there's going to be some economic damage done. And now, now we're not talking a majority effect, you know, uh, we're talking about a meaningful minority, but nonetheless, you know, um, whether it's, and, and this is not even to speak of the fact that this uh, virus might come back for a return engagement, you know, and if you have that worrying people about, you know, going to the movies, going to the mall, going on a cruise, going out to eat, this is all going to have an economic, a lingering economic impact. I don't know for how long, Uh, No one does, Um, but um, you have to look at it from that lens, I think. John? So,
1: um, yeah, I mean, we're in a recession now. um, We were at, you know, one and a half, less than 2% GDP growth, and now we went the first, like last week it was minus 10, and I think that Goldman's right, minus, they say it might hit as low as minus 20. We're probably about minus 12 right now in terms of negative growth. But having said that, the amount of money the U.S. just um, approved right. yesterday is like 20% of the of the GDP. So it's an incredible number, uh, a couple of trillion dollars. So I think, Gary, there'll be so much pent-up demand. I think that Rob's right. I mean, the, people will want to know that there's a vaccine that's been developed or that if you did acquire the virus, you've developed some immunity. Um, but for a lot of people reading early stuff, they don't know that many people that have been impacted. So it still isn't really real for them other than this surreal economic environment that they are now living. And and for those that are still working in and for a lot who aren't working. So I think there'll be so much pent up demand that people will want to go to sporting events. They will want to go to restaurants. They will want to get out there and experience life again and so they'll be spending i'm not suggesting people are going to jump on cruise ships anytime soon but i do think uh people will travel again and the airlines will um you know have a pretty uh, a pretty strong uh comeback now they're getting all this subsidy anyways in the u.s i mean um it, uh, the hotel and airline industry the travel industry Um, I think will bounce back because people's memories are short, right? Like uh, I remember SARS was very concentrated in Toronto, not very much so in the rest of Canada. It hurts Toronto uh, in terms of the tourism business for live theater, hotels and restaurants. And, you know, it it did take some time because Rob's right, people will be nervous about going to these things. Uh, But I think because this virus really impacts those that have either an underlying condition or older populations. I mean, the issue around Italy and what happened is really a failure and a crisis in their healthcare system. I mean, if we had enough ventilators and enough uh, ICU beds and enough gowns and enough masks, I don't think we'd be having the same conversation today. So uh, that's what they're really trying to avoid. So I think economically the underpinnings, the US economy was still very strong. And our economy was creating record levels of jobs. And in fact, most employers couldn't fill that demand. And I think you'll see a lot of employers have been reluctant to lay off on that basis because if the recovery is sooner, they want to make sure that they have enough people to fulfill those functions. So I I remain um, very optimistic about the recovery. I think you'll see a big surge. I know you, Gary, and I will do our best to spend our way into the recovery. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: we're gonna we're gonna definitely make our contribution uh okay guys so just a couple of things you can stick on if you like just why sort of uh finish with a few you know sort of things for our brokers what they can be doing during the the crisis while they're working at home uh but before i do that uh john i want to thank you very very much your your insight and your knowledge about uh our industry is is incredible uh and we're so grateful Well, my pleasure Yeah, and Robert, same thing. You know, as I said, you and I have been a dear friend for a long time, and I really admire, uh, you know, your perspective as well. Robert, I'll probably get you on another call sometime next week, if possible, because I had a whole bunch of other stuff that I wanted to speak to you about. Johnny, I know you're incredibly busy, and we're just uh, happy to have you make almost an hour for us today. Um, Really, really quickly, guys, so we have about uh, seven minutes. So this is actually part of our Level Up series. So I I sort of just made a few notes on – what I think that you can be doing during the crisis uh, and how to respond during the crisis and you know what you can be doing at home. So number one, you've heard me talk about this. Uh, everything is slowed down right now. People are at home, there's no retail spending. There's never, ever been a better time to absolutely truly connect and build social equity. So you need to, to look at your database and start from the oldest to the newest and you need to call every single past customer. And I mean truly connect. I don't mean an email or I don't mean a text and you're just going to check in, you're going to ask if they need any guidance, are they familiar with the mortgage deferral program, Uh, it just shows that you care, and you know, if they need any links for uh, any of the, um, you know, deferral programs, if they need uh, lender contact information, so I can't tell you how important that is, I mean, everything we do, you know, should be about relationships and not transactional, but not only that, but there's never been a better time as you actually go through and make these phone calls to just say to your customers, listen, I just wanna make sure my database is up to date. And do I still have the correct email and correct street address and correct, you know, phone numbers for you. So make this time count, okay? I want you to make sure that you're calling every single customer and just checking in. And uh, I can't drive that point home enough. I've received so many nice messages and phone calls in the last week or two. Uh, we've been telling you to do this for a long time and, and now a lot of us have time to do that. Um, the other thing I want you to do is, is market. When I say market right now, uh, the best way to market is just to educate via social media. And, and if you're on this phone call right now and if you haven't mastered three social medias, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, just start with those three. Now is the time. You know, there is some of you on this call that say, I don't use it very well, very much, and I'm not familiar with it. You can't teach old dogs new tricks. It is so easy to use. It is point and click. There's tutorials online. We are running training programs all the time. I mean, you have to make sure that you are reaching out. And I don't mean just liking somebody's comments. You know, you get to look at all of your past customers and friend them and invite them on your social media platforms. You can monitor their social media feeds. You need to go out there and share some clips and share some of these educational, you know, uh, things that we're covering right now uh, online. And you need to learn that. One thing you have to keep in mind right now, as John said, and as you know, he heard from the federal government, you have to market with sensitivity right now. Anyone appearing opportunistic that is taking advantage of a situation that maybe is increasing their prices, uh, uh, this is going to be remembered. And it's not going to be remembered you know, positively if that's the way you are doing. So I don't want you going out there lowest rate and taking advantage of the COVID crisis and all that sort of stuff. I want you to go out there and I want you to market and I want you to post about guidance and advice and sharing knowledge and links. And, you know, it's a really great way to reach thousands of uh, people right now, just checking in, but you need to be using social media. And if you're not on it, you need to be on it. Third thing you can be doing right now is carve out time to solve problems in your business. If there's an area in your business that you're struggling at, there's an area that maybe is a cash drain, maybe it's underperforming or under managed It's a part of your business that you can identify as being clunky or disruptive, or it's very time consuming without getting, you know, a satisfactory return. Uh, Grab, you know, your staff, your lieutenants, anyone who can help you out and actually make time to think, right? To actually just solve these problems. We often put up with problems and say, i got to get to it for an extended period of time because we don't, you know, make the time to actually think through and solve. You should have more time. I mean, I've been home now for 12 or 13 days and it is amazing how much more I'm getting done. I come to my office in the morning and I am powering through things because we are just, you know, uh, uninterrupted. So I wanna make sure that you use that to think through the problems in your area, identify them and make time to actually, you know, try and solve them. Obviously use this time, not only to reach out and guide your past customers, but you know, any referral source that you had, any, you know, someone who's, um, you know, helped you in your business, it could be an underwriter, it could be your top favorite, you know, um, uh, BDM, reach out to them as well, guys, and, 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 and build those relationships, checking with them. You know, for those of you that are working for, you know, are working with um, realtors, realtors business largely, you know, in the next month, we think is going to continue to slow down, especially on, you know, new home purchasers, purchases because of open houses and house sales, maybe checking with them, and see if they need a mortgage deferral or see if you can help them, you know, set up some emergency funding. We forget about them often, but yet there are, you know, are, um, you know, very valuable referral sources. So, I mean, you know, think differently, right? You know, think the way nobody else is and 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 make that effort. Uh, stay in touch with Every mortgage client that you have in the queue right now, if you have a mortgage application in and it's scheduled to close, it isn't enough to check in once every single day. Hey, I'm here. Everything's great. Here's an update. I'm getting information. Your customers are absolutely terrified right now. Last thing, last two things I'd sort of leave you with is uh, be decisive. I know we've talked about, you know, sort of how to, how to communicate with, with clients. Nobody likes a fence sitter. Education is really, really important, right? If you're going to be a leader in this industry, you need to be decisive and you need to give clear instructions, you know, based on the information and education that that you have. So make sure when you're reaching out, you're giving clear advice. Um, all right, guys, we have one minute left. There is a, a call right now with uh, NAS. Uh, if this call was helpful, please go on social media. Please tag Rob McClister. Please tag, you know, uh, John talk about you know, the contribution these two made uh, and talk about you know, what we're doing as a company to help educate all of you It's about building a village right now and supporting each other and and getting more people dialed in so they, you know, attend these calls more frequently. It's so so important for us to be leaders in the Canadian sport, uh, in the Canadian finance sector right now, to be the CNN of all things, you know, that are impacting Canadians during this very, very, you know, nervous time as we go through the COVID-19. So tag me, tag Rob, you know, tag John, make a comment about the great comments from these two gentlemen. I'll be looking for those, and I really appreciate it. As always, guys, I'm an easy guy to get a hold of, Gary at dlc.ca. If you uh, need me for anything, please send me a message or call me directly. Gentlemen, I can't tell you how grateful and how how appreciative I am of your time today. Thank you very, very much.
1: Well, thank you, Gary. and I want to say to all of you brokers, thank you for your business and your support.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much for having me, Gary. And uh, to all you brokers out there doing an amazing job at uh, keeping people informed, uh, keep up the amazing work.
1: All right. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll talk soon.